Blog Talk Radio. Want to breathe beautifully and worry less about pollution, germs, and toxins? Try a scoff, like scarf and cough. Scoff is a soft, natural wrap that hides a high-efficiency, active carbon filter to control the air around you. Scoff is lab-tested at 99% bacterial filtration efficiency. You can read more about our testing at wearscoff.com. If you decide Scoff is right for you, just enter Coffee 15 for a special discount. Support your immune function with filtered Scoff air. Good evening and welcome to the Coffee Clatch. This is Marianne Russo. You're a teacher. If you're not a teacher, imagine for a moment that you are. You have 25 new kindergartners or maybe many more. They're excited to be in school and eager to learn, but they're coming into the classroom with very different skills and experiences. Some of them are already reading, and some will pick it up right away. Other students will struggle but make progress with extra help, and others will still find reading and writing very difficult and need intensive remediation. This is a lot of diversity to juggle. On top of that, like all teachers, you face a very different landscape than teachers did a generation ago with today's many mandates and requirements. You have common core standards, student growth objectives, park testing, evidence-based instruction, response to intervention. These are just a few ways um, to, of the initiatives that teachers are integrating into their day-to-day schoolwork. Dyslexia screening is on its way to joining the list. In 2004, for example, New Jersey passed a law requiring schools to screen for, uh, for dyslexia, and an increasing number of grassroots organizations, such as Decoding Dyslexia, are pressing other states to do the same. With or without legislation, awareness of dyslexia is growing, and more and more schools are implementing programs to screen children for such reading disabilities. Having been a teacher myself, I understand the challenges involved in helping students overcome reading disability. I also see it in my role as a psychologist specializing in reading and related learning disabilities. Adopting a screening program isn't a simple project. It takes research, deliberation, and thoughtful decision-making. For starters, schools will need to understand how dyslexia screening works and what screenings can and cannot do. They will have to select the test to use and decide who will conduct them. For their part, screeners will have to know how to assess the results and follow up. Throughout this process, from design phase to implementation, schools and screeners will need to make decisions. And because dyslexia screening programs aren't a one-size-fits-all, these decisions will require professional judgment. This was from the introduction of dyslexia screening, essential concepts for schools and parents. I am so proud to have Dr. Richard Selznick as a host on my network. You can listen to his show, School Struggles, any um, first Tuesday of every month. He has... uh, dozens of outstanding interviews in archive, and I am honored to introduce you to his new book, Dyslexia Screening, Essential Concepts for Schools and Parents. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm turning the mic on Dr. Richard Selznick. How are you? Good. I'm doing great, Marianne. Well, thank you for having me on once again. I'm, I'm proud to be here. Honored you know, and proud. I, I, I love the book. Um, it is, as many of the reviewers have said, ground-breaking. Um, this is something that should be in every public school system. And what I loved about it was that, you know, as you do on the talk show, it's you go from the fundamentals and the basics. 
um, in this, you know, no-nonsense jargon to really technical aspects of screening for dyslexia. So, you know, it's a fantastic book. I'm so glad that it's um, finally out there. And um, so let me ask you a few questions. Thank you. Thank you very much. uh, Listeners, this book is awesome. (laughs) <laughs> I kid you not. Thanks. Um, so I'm first taking of all, you on the road with me. Oh, okay. Because I don't, I don't <laughs> we'll have tell much our spouses, to do. We'll tell our spouses. We won't tell our spouses. But, <laughs> that will just bring them along. Yeah, what the hell? yeah right, right. <laughs> um, so let's, let's talk about this book because, um, you know, I don't think people, some of the listeners to this may not know who you are, um, you know, what you do. So tell us a little bit about yourself and why you wrote this book. Thanks. Um, well, I'm a psychologist, and I've been, uh, I'm the director of the Cooper Learning Center, which is in South Jersey, um, and, and Cooper Learning Center is an interesting program in that it's a part of uh, a larger health system, Cooper University Healthcare, and we're, we're part of the Department of Pediatrics, and we specialize in uh, you know, a range of learning problems, but I would say that dyslexia and learning disabilities is kind of our, you know, sweet spot, you know, our, our, uh, in our, our central wheelhouse, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And um, we have, in fact, a conference coming up April 25th called Facets of Dyslexia, which uh, is our second annual conference. I, I've been in this business a long time. Um, I continue to be, in a sense, what I think of myself as a frontline person, meaning, you know, when you have concerns about your child, you know, you're, when you come in to talk about them, you meet with me, and I try to understand those concerns, and, and I and another team member, we, we do direct evaluations. Um, you know, I've been testing kids, I don't want to say for how many decades now, but a lot, many years, uh, and, and I'm still... I think it's inbred in me from my dad, who was a you know a wonderful principal on Staten Island, and I was a teacher many moons ago on Staten Island. That with the inbred in me, the idea of trying to support and help the underdog kid, and you know the the kids that I have worked with over the years have always been in a sense on that rougher road. You know, they're the ones on the left side of the continuum who mostly have been struggling because of reading, spelling, and writing issues, but they could have other, you know, you know how it goes, a lot of other co-occurring variables. Um, But but my basic mission is, you know, how do we help these underdog kids? And I think that that's what's behind this book, you know, that, um, you know, helping schools, helping parents gain some perspective so that they can more earlier on identify those areas of concern. I think that's what's behind it. Yeah. Uh, You know, and it's so true because, um, you know, a lot of kids struggle, a lot of parents, especially first-time parents that have nothing to compare it with, um, aren't aware um, that there are challenges. And, um, you know, let's talk about the target audience because in the introduction I pretty much um, laid out parts of um, the introduction that were directed to educators, but it's not just for educators, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that the primary audience that I'm speaking to here, you know, it's, it says it in the title, essential concepts for schools and parents. I think it's primarily for schools. I think they are the ones who will find the concepts in here interesting. Um, you know, I think that they, they, they are looking for guidance. They're looking for, you know, a kind of, you know, there's a, there is a lot of pressure on the school's 
these days. There always has been, but I think it's it's increased because of legislation and and you know advocacy groups and knowledge in the field to respond. So I think that that's my number one target audience. Secondarily, I've always been about parents. Um, that's really my my mission, which you alluded to earlier, is that it's kind of. I think of myself as, you know, down to earth in a sense, no nonsense. You know, like I, I like to try to bring humor into it, but it's how do how do we understand these things in basic terms, so that the audience, so so that the writing is clear for parents, and you know, and educators, clear for those two groups. Um, so there's not a lot of jargon. They're not walking away from it, going, you know what? Now he's just confused me even more. That's my hope, and that was the that was the mission in the first two books as well. Uh, and I think clinicians, you know, other school psychologists and psychologists who are doing this kind of work uh, may find it interesting as well. Um, and and dyslexics. I mean, I think that you know, adult dyslexics may may. <laughs> I want to read it. It's not that heavy a read. Uh, you know, just, again, to gain perspective. Yeah, you know, and I think that um, it's true because especially with the younger children, that you know, oftentimes children that have these challenges do have a team working with them. And it is important that they all understand what these testings will be. I mean, it's standard for, I believe it's kindergartners, to go through assessments. But, you know, how is screening different from other levels of assessment? Uh, for dyslexia, do schools um, are there different tools that different schools use to screen dyslexia? You know, you know there. Is yeah. it picked up right away? No, you know, boy, there's a lot. It's a complicated question, and, and probably I'm not going to have a straightforward answer. I think that there are going to be these. I think schools, for for many reasons, will look to what I would call, in a sense, fast and dirty screenings. You know, like quick mm-hmm. computer tests that they can or five minute screenings or 10 minute ones that that don't take a lot of training but that can give them some some data you know so they can do some progress monitoring i'm not the i'm sure there i know there's some reasonable ones on the market those are not the ones that i pay attention to very much i am more about uh, you know, a, a kind of interaction with the child that's a little bit longer in terms of the process involved. Um, it's still a screening, meaning it's relatively brief uh, compared to a, a more involved assessment. Um, but it's not as quick as, a, a, you know, give the kid a 10-minute on, online test and now we know. You know, it's, 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 it's a more involved process than that. So, so schools schools may find that concept a little bit challenging. I mean, I could speak briefly to the notion of, of recently we did we implemented a lot of these tests within the Brooklawn School District, and it took about a half hour per kid to, to do, I'd say, once the, once the team got used to doing these screenings. I'm not and, sure if that you know, answers the question, but it's, it's a little bit Yeah, you know, it's... Um, you know what? What I was wondering was that you know, a lot of kids get assessments. All all children right. have an assessment when they go into school, um, but oftentimes right. dyslexia is not picked up right away. Right. Um, and I know for parents, there are so many myths about yep. dyslexia, and I think that adds to <clears throat> excuse me adds to the confusion for parents. And I wonder if it could also add to the confusion um, for teachers. You know the the D word is problematic. It carries mythology with it. And I have been, in a sense, specializing in this word for a long time and still find 
it amazing that parents, teachers, you know, the, the top mythologies that you continue to get are, of course, the reversals as the hallmark feature, you know, upside down, backward, as the hallmark of, of this uh, disorder. And, you know, then you also get a, a mythology that goes along with it that only neurologists can assess for this. And it's frustrating because it's, it's effectively an educational problem. It's a, it's, it's a learning problem. And in order to, to screen for this, you need to be administering a number of these sort of educational or psychologically based tests. That I, I know very, very few neurologists who have the time to do this kind of battery. You know? So in, in some ways, I think they may feel burdened by the notion that, only neurologists can test for dyslexia. Right. And um, would there be a, a special team or person at a school um, that would administer this, or would the actual teacher of the child be administering this? I think the spirit of the laws that, let's say, in New Jersey and other places is, that cla- is the idea that the classroom teacher um, can do some of these screenings. What we did in Brooklawn was we assembled a few teachers, regular class teachers, who seemed, you know, particularly interested in this kind of um, assessment process. So they, in effect, volunteered. Um, we had a, a couple of people from the special education team, from the child study team. So we had a team, and then a, an intern or two in school psychology. So we had a team of about five or six people, and we had them learn these these screening measures. Um, and, you know, I think by all reports, they did a pretty good job. You know, we're still collecting the data on it, uh, but they did a pretty good job. I think, I think classroom teachers can do, this, can do this work. I think they have to get comfortable with it. I think they have to get a little confident. I think it's, some of it depends on the instruments that they choose. You know, f- for example, we, I recommend a test within this, and, it's, and I'm only using the test as a guideline called the Comprehensive Test of Phonological Processing and it's in its second edition, so it's called the CTOP-2. Now, you know, there are other measures on the market, so I'm not saying that's the only one to give. It's typically given by speech and language people, but I think that a classroom teacher who gave, let's say, a few subtests from the CTOP and did a letter-naming screening or a sound screening, and that's pretty good data right there. You know, right. that, that alone could take you about 15 to 20 minutes at best. And as the teacher gets more and more comfortable with giving a few of these CTOP subtests, then she starts to develop her own sense of norm. You know, she starts to see... Uh, oh, okay, I understand how this test works. This subtest called elision, which is a very important one. It's a phonemic awareness task. That, okay, I see, boy, I, I see these guys have done do very well with it, and, and, you know, we don't have much concern with them, but, wow, they're really struggling, and I have to watch these kids. I think that's the spirit of the dyslexia screening that I understand. Yeah, and I, I, I like the idea. I mean, you know, as you said, the neurologists, first of all, usually don't have the time. Um, and second of all, it's really not necessary. But I think that there really could be an advantage to um, the fact that the teachers or the, those in the school district have a chance to observe and really observe the whole child um, yeah. in regard to this as well. So what does yeah. the screening accomplish? Um, because I think that's, that's important for um, teachers and parents to understand as well. Let's. Um, I, I might start with what it doesn't do. <laughs> what it doesn't okay. do. It, what it doesn't do is. It's not. I think this is really important for parents and schools to understand. A screening for dyslexia is not diagnosing dyslexia. 
that's really important to emphasize. We're not we're not putting the diagnose. Oh, your child has this disorder, this dyslexia. Um, but what it is doing is saying to a parent or saying to school, we have identified some pretty powerful indicators. To, you know, some ones that research has shown are very predictive. Excuse me, of later school struggling. So if I have a four-year-old, for example, or a five-year-old, it's not, you know, it's not too early to start. I mean, I could see a, work with a four-year-old or a five-year-old and say to a parent, gee, most five-year-olds know their letters, or most five-year-olds are able to do these, uh, you know, are scoring in a certain range on these tasks of, of phonological processing. Your child is, you know, significantly below the average. We have to watch that closely. I think that's the most powerful message to get across to the parents, to get across to school. And, uh, and by extension, along with watching it closely, we also can do certain things early on that may prevent the, the kind of struggling that is more of the wait and fail model, the one that, you know, where, where you're kind of now in second grade and starting an assessment process. Right. So, so it's number, number one, you're identifying, the biggest thing you're doing, I say to parents, is you're identifying red flags. You're trying mm-hmm. to find those red flags of concerns. And the typical ones are, you know, for early on, does he know his letters? How smoothly can he, can he say his letters? Um, can he write his name? Can he, she, you know, write the alphabet? And this is where you're watching a child. I do talk about qualitative indicators in this book, that it's not just the score. You know, the, peop- the best people in the field um, who have talked about assessment have said, look, dyslexia is not a score. You have to watch how a child responds. Right. Well, what is, you know, let me just go back a little bit before mm-hmm. we lose um, that. Right. The, what is the importance of um, a, dis- a formal dyslexia diagnosis? Where would a, per- per- where would a parent get that? And also, um, I would imagine that these tools and the quality of the outcome of the using these tools would be very important to a person who's making the diagnosis. Yeah. You know, it, it, the field is, is a tough field in some ways. It's a bit of a crazy field. And I, my, part of my joke when I do some of these workshops is that the, the dentists, say, in Oklahoma and the dentists in New Jersey are using the same exact tools, by and large, and they would come to the same conclusion. <laughs> in my world, it's not the case. So, right. you know, psych, I, I happen to use certain instruments that I have grown to be comfortable with myself as a professional that I feel, you know, yield for me what I'm looking for in terms of these assessments. But the next person in the same state or even in the same building may be administering different tools. Right. So you start with that, it's kind of there's a confusion there. I think that... Um, also can adding to this is that there is no one test per se. There's no x-ray. There are a battery of tests. There are a battery of different tasks. I think of them as tasks that you need to put a child through, whether it's with a screening or a more comprehensive assessment in order to get enough data that kind of, I, I look at it like two scales. You know, you're tipping scales one side or the other side. So we start to put, you know, pebbles on one side, weights on one side of the scale. Okay, boy, he's struggling with that reading of words in isolation. Mm, that's not good. Ooh, he really didn't do well on 
uh, reading words and uh, nonsense words. Wow, okay, let's watch that. Oh, let's see how his spelling is. Woo, that's a, you know, you see what I'm saying? It's that mm-hmm. kind of observation. Now, now add to that, and you have a lot of powerful information. Listen to a child read. You know, the child is reading like they're going down a dirt road with, with potholes all over the place, labored and choppy. And, well, that's, that's adding. You have now a lot of data. Right. One, more pe- one more piece, which I mentioned in the screening book, which people don't, they tend to bypass is, which is a huge piece. Did one or the other parent have this problem? They might not have been diagnosed, but I'll right. tell you 95 to 99% of the time when, it, when parents come in to talk to me, one or the other parent, more often the male line, I would admit, <laughs> says, you know what, I was just like that as a kid, and, I, and I, I'm not bringing a big book to the beach. I don't like to read that much. And it's like, okay, we've got a lot of good data here, don't we? Now, I'm not doing, you know, CAT scans, and I'm not doing an X, but I've got a lot of good data that the person right. most likely seems to have this thing. Now, is a um, a formal diagnosis necessary for accommodations? Boy, it's, a, it's state by state. Okay. Uh, it's so confusing. I, I, you know, I think there's still a lot of, you know, I think that like in in New Jersey is still kind of trying to find its way with this new law. Um, you know, they're mandated to screen for dyslexia for kids that are at risk in K1 and 2. I think That's that great. dyslexia label, at least I think, will give you access to a 504 plan. I think there's still confusion because about the IEP and the classification, in part right. because so, so many of the kids that I so many of the kids that I test fall still in that zone I call the zone of no zone, the low end of the average range, where the school will look at it as average, which I understand why they're looking at it that way. But I'm seeing a child who's struggling. They may not be bad enough to classify by their standards, even though I'm calling the kid you know, reading disabled or dyslexic or something, you know, you right. see? So, so, so teacher observation is important. I want to get back to, you started talking about some key areas of um, assessments. So mm-hmm. let's just go back to that a little bit and list yep. some of the key areas that are important for you in the screening. Yeah. Um, I, I think a top one would be what's called phonemic awareness. Um, and there are many good measures on the market. The C-top I mentioned before is one of them. And, and phonemic awareness, I'll give you a very simple, you know, is an awareness. It, it, research has shown that children who struggle with phonemic awareness, it's a high predictor of later struggling. When I say later, I'm talking about first grade, second grade, struggling with the development of basic reading. The smooth road kids, they don't have trouble with phonemic awareness. They, they mm-hmm. go forward pretty quickly. These kids, a, a simple phonemic awareness task is something like, say the word flip, flip. Now say flip, but don't say the sound, the F sound. And the kids that that have phonemic awareness can do that kind of tasks pretty quickly and easily. The other kids are oh, flip, flip. What are you talking about? They're confused. So, so that's one area of importance. A second area for young kids is to, certainly the letter naming, letter sounds. Um, and making, you know, screening for those. Again, there are different tests in the market that quantify this. I tend to use what are called informal measures, you know, asking the child to write his or her name or Mm -hmm. having her write the alphabet. It's very hard to quantify that, I find, in standardized terms. It's like, well, how smoothly did the child do that, you see? Um, A little bit older, when they're now moving into, say, um, 
kin, upper kindergarten, first grade, you want to see, do they know any words? Can they read any sight words? Um, you know, and, and certainly in first grade, you're screening for using nonsense words, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I would think that with, you know, our advanced curriculum with Common Core, mm-hmm. that catching this early is so key. Um, you know, because there's just so many demands put on um, the, these kids so young. Um so what what difference between your recommendations and what will probably be typical of what will be adopted in schools? You know, what what are you seeing is generally used um and what would your recommendations be? Well, what you know, I think that I use a model in the book, you know, I use a combination of what I call stages of reading development, which is comes from Dr. Jean Chaw from Harvard where she, you know, she shows you know, late Dr. Jean Charles, she shows, you know, how kids move through certain stages. I think it's really important to know where a child is in his or her state of development because mm-hmm. what, if you say to a person, look, they're in stage zero, which is an early, you know, the earliest stage for her model, then that's telling me that the child is not quite in the legitimate stage of reading so that you're targeting then you know, it guides what you target. It guides what your interventions are. So we need to give that child a heftier dose of letter awareness, sound awareness, rhyming activities, phonemic awareness, those kinds of things to move them along. If the child is in, a, in an early stage one, as another example, they're starting to kind of make little gains with, with sight words, maybe a little bit of decoding. And again, so that guides mm-hmm. you as, okay, so we need to be targeting those word patterns in, you know, multi-sensory methodologies, which is the, you know, kind of buzz term on it, Orton-Gillingham approaches, things like that, that would get you structured approaches to learning those word patterns. So the the data at least gives you an idea of where to go next. I think it's, I think it's, I think that good right. screening should give you a really good what's next thought process. You know, what do we de- what's best that we need to target in, as a next step. Right. And you know, I was just wondering as you were talking because I know I, I, I in one of the interviews I did with uh, Dr. Alan Francis and Dr. Dale Archer, mm-hmm. um, you know, Alan Francis had mentioned that birth age was really important um, yeah. when you were taking all factors into mm-hmm. consideration. Um, you know, as in with ADHD, a child born yeah. I think before December has twice uh, the likelihood of being diagnosed with ADHD, and it's really yeah. because of immaturity and not sure. um, the difference. But in this case, um, I think that it, does it make a difference? I think, that this, I think this is some of that. I, I'd rather see it if we could slow it down a little bit for a child. You know, I'm mm-hmm. certainly when, I, when I'm screening a, a kindergarten child and the parent is saying, well, you know what, we, he's a bit on the immature side, so we've decided to give him another year, the, the proverbial gift of time. I'm, I'm feeling a great sense of relief at that moment. Let's say it's uh, this time of year and uh, you're effectively four or five months away from looking at first grade versus a year and a half. Mm-hmm. You know, it does make a difference. I think that if we can give that child a good year of, you know, building that foundation and targeting those skills, that it would it would help. Uh, so, so I do I do find that that the time factor, especially for young kids, is, is a significant one. You know, before you spoke about qualitative indicators, so you know, you emphasize in the book professional judgment and qualitative mm-hmm. indicators. So, can yeah. you just let's just go back to that so you can explain that a little more? I didn't want to cut you off with that. Yeah, no, no problem. I think it's a, a good way to explain that would be, um, you know, let's just say you had a list of words 
in front of you, and um, you're asking the child to read those words, um, let's say from the Woodcock Reading Mastery Test. So child A reads the, the simple words pretty smoothly, you know. Um, they, they go down the list. Um, I'm actually pulling out a list. So here, they read words like you, and, up, cat, stop, come, jump, help, book. Okay, 100%, beautiful. Kid B, uh, oh, what is that? You, you, uh, ooh, and, you know, they're slower. They might, by quantitative terms, this is where I think sometimes schools go wrong. By quantitative terms, kid B may come up exactly the same as kid A. But they're fundamentally different children. Mm-hmm. So how quickly do they respond? And I don't mean rapidly. I'm just saying, you know, with right. letter naming, letter sounds, word reading, you know, you want those skills to be pretty automatic. If I said to you what's three plus two, you're not saying, mm, wait a minute, hold on, five. Right, right. You know, so, so that qualitatively yeah. you have to watch a child. And this is why I think the big, one of my big uh, emphasis in the book is, you know, watching a child a little bit. How did they do the task? Was it smooth? Was it easy? Was it efficient? That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And what about older children? Because, you know, um, it it seems that a lot of children mm-hmm. aren't caught until much later yeah. um, for one reason or another. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I would imagine that, you know, when you're talking about um, using these qualitative indicators and articulation and... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, mm-hmm. type of responses. Yeah. You know, how does that play into screening an older child? I love I love screening older people. Um, I, I, I sometimes yeah, even have young adults. adults. Right. I have it. Look, I've had adults call me. I had one recently call me. He was forty-two, and he was concerned about dyslexia. And I probably screened him about now because he's an adult, and I, and I didn't have to worry as much about the school placement and the school, all these other variables. I could. I it was very informal. I pulled out a, a comp, you know, a, a list of names that I've created. Uh, I called the name test. I had him read those names. He struggled with it. I pull out a word list from the Woodcock Reading Mastery Test. He struggled there. Nonsense word. And I had him read a passage out loud to me. I said, "Look, you looks pretty dyslexic to me. Now we right. can do a more comprehensive battery for fifteen hundred dollars, or you know, a, a lot of money. But in ten minutes, I could tell, sort of tell you that you've got some stuff going on here. Now, is it? Tr- you know, this is where it gets a little bit naughty because it's like, is it really dyslexia versus who knows what? I think it's most likely dyslexia. You could probably hang your hat on it, but based on the way that the person read those those words and the and the passages, but you can do that pretty easily and pretty quickly. And spell, mm. add spelling to add spelling and writing to it. You really have a you know quick little spelling screening, a, a writing sample, and you've got all, you've got a lot of good data there. Right. So now, say that a a middle schooler, um, or even a high schooler, isn't caught um, until they're in mm-hmm. middle school or, or high school. Yeah. Um, you know, as as far as the screening and as far as the recommendations, um, you know, how does that come into play? I think that some of that. Some of that depends, you know, if they're coming to an outside person like myself. I mean, some of that is, you know, trying to be sensitive to people's situation. You know, a lot of more often than not, this is not covered by insurance. You know, I mentioned cost a, a minute ago. Um, so I'm trying to be sensitive to where the person's coming from and what their needs are. Um, I think that many parents want to know what's next. What do I need to do next? That's a guiding principle of mine. What do I need to do next? 
Uh, whether the school, see, this is where it gets a little difficult because the school may not really, in a sense, acknowledge or respect that kind of informal screening. They may, mm-hmm. Effectively, they may dismiss it as, well, he didn't do a comprehensive battery. Well, it's like, that was not my point. You know, I didn't need to do a comprehensive battery. I was trying to just answer the parents' question about, you know, does he show some of these indicators and what should we do next? And, you know, so, so you can imagine how complicated these kind of questions can get in terms of, you know, how to proceed. But that's what I like to, I, to do with, with, with older kids yeah. in that way. Go, yeah, we're going to go into that a little later. But, you know, I would imagine that for a middle schooler who struggled all through, um, mm-hmm. you know, primary, um, you yeah. know, it has to affect your self-esteem. So it's got to huh. be very validating. Um, and and it, it's got to give parents and educators, you know, hope when they pick something up that may not have been obvious, um, you know, when they were younger. Yeah, well, so, not, not, yeah. I mean, that's what the whole shutdown learner is about, really. Exactly. You know, that kind of emotional side of kids who are struggling with learning problems like dyslexia. You know, that's really what that's all about. Right. And I'm just going to take a second because the listeners may not know about um, school struggles and the shutdown learner, which were Dr. Selznick's first two books. You put these three books together, and it's just incredible um, what you're going to learn about the psychology of um, educating these struggling learners. Um, Thank and it you. really is because you need to look at this as a whole child. You can't just piecemeal this. Um, yeah. And that's what you've done in these, these three books. But, um, you know, getting back to this book, you use a stage mentality and a categorical mm-hmm. model in your screening. Right. Yeah. So, you know, how does that work and how does that differ from what may have been used or others may be using? It's just a guideline. I think that the schools are more, are more and more um, – Using this kind of uh, categorical thinking, you know, I, uh, this green, you know, the, the effectively the mindset, the green box, are the children good to go? You know, and that's a range. You know, it's not a clear. So, so the the upper end would be kids who, who let's just say, for the young kids, first graders, you know, they're they're showing good sight word understanding. Their their phonics are developing. So they're in that they're in that green category. The tricky part of it is when they're in the lower green category, you know, the lo- the ones that mm-hmm. are kind of borderline, upper yellow, lower green. This is where I think we run into difficulty because so many of those kids, this is, to my way of thinking, there's not that much difference between the lower green and the upper yellow, you know. Uh, but schools will say, well, he's he's in the he's in the average range, he's doing fine. I'm like, uh, yeah, but that's a 25th percentile, 30th percentile. It's not so fine. And if he doesn't get what he needs in terms of these skills, he's going to drop further into the down into the more yellow. So I think schools are using, I think they're using these categories. I just happen to really like the stages. It's something that I think in our clinic, it's, it's something that guides our thought process. So if I say to my education coordinator, I've got a kid in stage two reading, well, she knows exactly that he, he's mastered some, you know, he knows his sight words, he has some basic decoding, and he needs fluency development. You see how it's like, mm-hmm. oh, stage three reader. We're done with decoding. We're done. It's like, okay, comprehension, vocabulary, move them along and just have them read a lot and interact around comprehension. And, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's that, you know, I, I think that that's how I try to you know, emphasize it in the book, that by thinking categorically, like green, yellow, red, how good to go is a child, um, or does, is he showing significant issues, a red child, so to speak, um, in what stage that you now have a good model to say, okay, what does he need next? Right. And I mean, exactly. And this book, you know, I just want to say that uh, when I was reading the book, I just made a list of things that um, 
you know, are in this book, and this is just yeah. a for starters list, but um, just so that uh, the listeners can understand what um, information is here for educators, you start with a comprehensive guide to dyslexia screening, um, the basic fundamentals, areas of reading and writing a screening um, should address, what a screening should look like, which is a fantastic chapter, how to interpret the results, um, you know, which also I just want to ask you about that a little later because I was thinking that too about being mm-hmm. subjective on these tests, but I'll go back yeah. to that. How mm-hmm. to communicate those results, case studies. You have great case studies and illustrations on there um, that, you know, really tailor to, to different students that are going to help educators. You have a composite story of a school um, following the screening procedures so that you can suggest an example um, that can serve as a model for other districts. You have frequently asked dyslexia screening questions, and you have a lot of information about various screening tests that are available now on the market. So what we're talking about today is just a very general um, overview of the book. But, um, okay, so the kids gotten screened. Right. Um, The teachers have hopefully read your book, um, applied your model. You know, now what? You know, what happens after the screening? Good question. We're struggling with it a little bit in the Brooklawn School District. <laughs> it's not an easily answered another one of these exactly. not another one of these not easily answered questions. I think that step one is Aren't easy. you glad you came on the show? <laughs> yeah, really. Oh my god. Well that's this is my life. I wish I had I know. you know like there questions that are that are you know, in some ways they're they're easy. Okay, let's give it a good help, but in other ways they're so complicated, you know. Mm-hmm. Um so the com- I think an important step one for a school, I'm just using Brooklyn as in effect like a um, composite type of experience, is that we have, we we screened about 40, this is off the top of my head, we screened about 45 kids and um, we also had done a couple years ago a screening of a charter school in the community of a few hundred kids and the mentality was, okay, school staff here are the kids, you know, you, you all have identified which kids you think are in need, and we're either confirming that you're right, you know, that, or, but it's giving you some, uh, a, a jumping off point. So the kids that are in that more middle yellow to lower yellow, those kids really need a heftier dose of direct mm-hmm. instruction. That's, to me, the next best step. So if they can, it's sort of like when, uh, years ago we had this, you know, reading first and, and uh, you know, um, family literacy initiatives. It's that mentality that says if we've identified these areas of concern in kindergarten, well, what do we do? Well, let's, you know, in, while these kids are drawing or I'm going to have a little group off to the side and do 10, 15-minute activities of direct instruction working on the phonemic awareness, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, same thing with first grade and second. Okay, so it, to me, there's too much formality. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, let me pull the kids off to the side and work on these sight words. Let me pull them off and work on CVs. And I know it's a lot easier said than done. I totally empathize. When I was a teacher, I was a bad manager. I couldn't organize because I'm not a disorganized person, so I couldn't manage the class that well. So I could appreciate you have to have some good management skills to be able to differentiate and say, okay, these guys are good to go, so I'm giving them independent activities while I'm going to ta- help these guys who are at a lower level of development. But that's what mm-hmm. I think needs to happen. I think the next, another thing that needs to happen is, a, is that parents should get a letter of some kind. I put the sample letter in the book. You know, right. dear mom and dad, we screen your child. 
you know, we're not calling him dyslexic. You know, let's not let's not jump to that. But there are some areas of concern that we would like to target, and we want you to know about. Okay, I think parents really appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. You know, yeah. And because I think too often they book- feel they're in the dark. Too often they feel like they're in the dark, and they don't feel like they're being talked to in plain language. You know, which is why I was just going to say this book is also really important for parents. This book is is really an unbelievable guide for teachers. Um, school districts need to <laughs> need to read this. But parents also will really understand what the process is, um, yeah. which I wish I knew. My, my oldest daughter is dyslexic, and I knew nothing back then. I wish I yeah. knew all of this. Um, yes. So this book is also, and even to give to a teacher if your child has been diagnosed. Well, you. But, um, you know, we have to wrap this up, but I hope, yeah. I really hope that um, Amazon is going to bundle this with your other two books, The Shutdown Learner and School Struggles, because this book is awesome, and all three of them together just give you such well, an unbelievable you. picture. So let's, uh, why don't you give us the date of the conference again? That's coming up. Um, April 25th is our Facets of Dyslexia conference. That's coming up in South Jersey here. So you can go on, the, on that website. It's uh, cooperlearningcenter.org, cooperlearningcenter.org. That's uh, for Cooper. Um, my own website is shutdownlearner.com. So that's you know where I post a lot of blogs and videos. And so shutdownlearner is one word. Um, you know, and you can buy the book there directly, as well as through Amazon and Barnes and Nobles online. Um, and it's also available in Kindle. In um, oh yeah, yeah, it's an ebook. And, right. and, and you know, it's an ebook, one right. of the nice things about the ebook is that it's it's in color, and there's some nice color graphs and things like that. So, but, mm-hmm. but it's both nice as print and ebook. So. Well, I thank you again. I mean, you've got a great blog. Um, very, you want to talk about um, effective social media? Uh, you, you, you know, you really figured that out. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank um, so you know, he's very approachable and very visible. Yeah. I'll get you there. You. Um, yeah. <laughs> he's very approachable and very visible on social media. You can go and find him at at Dr. Sells, D-R-S-E-L-Z, on Twitter, um, where he has great information for you. And you can listen to all his interviews and find him on our website, www.thecoffeeclatch.com. And uh, once again, thank you so much, Richard. I appreciate it. Well, thanks for all the... And thanks for having me on, and thanks for all the kind words. I really appreciate it, too. So thanks. It was okay. great talking with you. Thanks. It was great talking to you. Have you a great night, care. everyone. And, again, the name of the book is Dyslexia. Um, oh, I just lost it. Richard, help me out. <laughs> Dyslexia Screening. <laughs> Dyslexia Screening, Essential Concepts for Schools and Parents. Okay. Check it out on Amazon. Thank you for joining us, everyone. <laughs> thanks, we'll see you Take Sunday care. night. Thanks. Take care. Bye.